Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Tamar Haspel, writing for the Washington Post, vividly describes the debate over genetically modified organisms, or GMOs. It's not just genetic modification. We're arguing about organics, honeybees, factory livestock, fishery depletion, aquaculture, yields, antibiotics, monocrops, and chemicals. Some of these can be as polarizing as the most difficult social issues. There's as deep a schism in the food community as there is in Congress. On the right, there's the insistence that biotech is the only way to feed a growing population and the reluctance to admit the shortcomings of industrial agriculture. On the left, it's just the opposite. Monsanto, the avatar for big ag, is evil incarnate. And today on the program, we're going to look for some GMO answers. We'll be talking with panelists who will be appearing on a League of Women Voters panel discussion on this topic uh, tomorrow evening at 6.30 in the uh, evening at the Girl Scout Office Building, 445 East, 4500 South in Salt Lake City. And uh, we welcome in Sue Lind, who is uh, on the board of the League of uh, Women Voters. And uh, she, along with her uh, husband, uh, she was raised a city girl in Berkeley, California, and after marrying her husband, Carl, she supported uh, schooling for Carl as he became an oral surgeon through training in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New Orleans. They have four grown children. Carl and Sue moved back to Salt Lake after schooling, and shortly after, they purchased a 100-acre ranch in Camas, where they raised yearling calves. In 2000, uh, they uh, purchased a, uh, a ranch in Ruby Valley, Nevada. And today, uh, about 600 mother cows and calves call this ranch home. The ranch in Camas is now used to raise replacement heifers. Usually 125 heifers are kept in Camas in the summer and fall, transferred to Nevada or sold. There are also a farm grounded feedlot in Corinne. As I mentioned, serves on the board of the League of Women Voters in Salt Lake. Uh, so, Sue Lind, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. Good morning to you, Tom. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, be with you. And uh, we welcome in as well uh, Dr. Louisa Stark, who directs the Genetic Science Learning Center at the University of Utah. The center's Learning Genetics website is the most widely used online genetics education resource in the world. And uh, last year, it received almost 20 million visits from virtually every country in the world. The site is in the 99.99th uh, percentile of most used sites on the Internet. And Dr. Stark is an associate professor in the Department of Human Genetics at the University of Utah. Dr. Stark, welcome to the program. Hello, good morning. I'm glad to be here. I'm sorry to say that uh, I guess I was a point one or something of percentile. I had not been aware of your site. I've been enjoying uh, uh, tooling around the site. It's a very, very nice site. Thank you so much. We really enjoy helping people understand uh, the basics of genetics. Our mission is making science easy for everyone to understand. Sue Lind, I wonder if we could start maybe on the macro level with you. You're a, you're a city girl who... I guess, uh, by fate and circumstance, uh, ended up a rancher. I did. Um, my husband, after finishing his training and uh, we moved back to Salt Lake, uh, decided he really wanted to do some ranching. So that's when we bought our small place up in Camas. And then later on, he decided he really wanted to get serious, and so we bought our ranch in uh, Nevada. And I quoted, uh, excuse me, I, I quoted the Tamar Haspel. I, I thought she just did a such a good job, uh, sort of setting up the uh, the divide in the in the food world over GMOs. Are, are, are you seeing some of that? I guess as a rancher, you have to be aware of this anyway. Well, um, you know, um, I had heard it mentioned, but uh, out in the, the valley where we're um, raising our calves, of course, we don't see much Monsanto. We don't see any Monsanto. Hmm. Okay. Um, our alfalfa is all the conventional alfalfa that we raise for uh, supporting our livestock at times, especially in the winter. Um, but uh, we really don't see our grains and stuff out there because mostly ranchers cannot afford Monsanto grain. Mm. Okay. And on, on the oh, other... But, uh, w- the, where it comes into play is when we uh, probably uh, feed near the end of the calf cycle with us, which is when they reach about 500 pounds, and we, after we wean them to um, uh, reduce the stress in the calves, we do give some grain and some uh, pellets that have antibiotic in them for a couple of weeks. Mm. But then I, I have talked with a feedlot person who works with some of our calves and stuff and found out a little bit about more how he feels about the Monsanto. Yeah. Well, how does how does he feel? Well, he likes it because he said um, I asked him about the process in raising the Monsanto corn and alfalfa, and he said what they usually do is they plant it in the ground, the corn, for instance, and when the plant 
gets to be about 18 inches, they spray the, the uh, gly, glypho, glyphosate, is that how you say it? Once. And he said if you manage it right, it uh, really does the job because uh, it kills the weeds and it, is, uh, it disintegrates very rapidly so that it doesn't get into the water system. And um, then when the corn gets high enough, it forms a canopy, so they only have to do it once anyway because the canopy uh, reduces uh, the ability of the weeds to grow. I guess on the, the other part of this, um, some ranchers, some farmers, some producers um, are, are actively marketing to, uh, you know, the, the, the non-GMO crowd, the organics mm-hmm. and, and such, they and that, that's a growing market. And yes. so on that side, I guess you, you have to be aware of, of that potential market. Yes, I am. Yeah. In fact, we have visited a couple of ranches that raise pure grass-fed uh, beef. And one was the Hearst Ranch, which was down, is down in California, of course, in San Luis Obispo. And uh, they raised their calves totally to uh, about 11, 12 months old. And then they go to their own packing plant, and uh, they sell their beef directly to Whole Foods. Um, we asked them what they got for the calves, and they would not tell us because they get a much higher price. And, of course, Whole Foods sells it for a greater price, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were lucky enough to be able to sample grass-fed beef that they were raising, and it was good. It was a little tougher, but it was very good. Yeah, this, 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 these issues do seem to be pretty polarizing. I guess where you mm-hmm. where you're raising your your cattle at that that hasn't arrived there not not many Monsanto folks out there. We don't have any Monsanto out mm-hmm. there in in the valley. No, yeah. mm-hmm. it's all grass feeding, of course. Uh, and about 1950, that's when the feedlots started to increase, and, uh, you know, calves were sent from ranches at about 500 pounds to the feedlots, or either to be kept over the winter for grass uh, in the spring, or sometimes they're sold directly to California at 500 pounds in, uh, because winter is the time when they have the best feed in California. Mm. We're talking about uh, GMOs, genetically modified organisms, a big debate mm-hmm. uh, ongoing, and we're talking to two uh, panelists who are going to be on a panel for the League of Women Voters. Uh, that discussion will be held tomorrow night at 630 Girl Scout Office Building in Salt Lake City. We have with us uh, Sue Lind, who is a uh, rancher. She's on the board of uh, League of Women Voters of Salt Lake. And uh, Dr. Louisa Stark, who directs the Genetic Science Learning Center at the University of Utah. Dr. Stark, um, I, I'm guessing there would be a, a fair bit of traffic to your site uh, trying to learn about GMOs. This is only one subset, of course, in genetic uh, learning, but uh, this is, it, it gets in the news a lot. Well, it's actually not certainly the most highly used part of our site, uh, I realize that it is uh, a controversial issue. I think one thing that people should understand is that genetically modifying organisms involves inserting DNA that wasn't originally there in those organisms. But of course, every organism, whether it's living or has ever lived, uh, has DNA. So DNA in and of itself, the A's, C's, G's, and T's that make up the information that for all of our cells is present in every cell. So modifying an organism by adding additional DNA is not at that level changing. Um, it's not changing sort of the, the organism's innate instructions. Hmm. Uh, what the, adding a new pieces of DNA, what that does do is make the organism give it the ability to produce proteins that it didn't produce before. Um, so that can change, can change how it relates to the environment or what it can produce. For example, um, I'm sure that all of your listeners probably know someone who has diabetes and there is a, and Insulin is one of the treatments for diabetes. It's currently made by genetically modified E. coli bacteria, which uh, come from our intestinal system. They're the same ones that live there. But more recently, uh, some scientists in Canada have been able to put the gene for human diabetes into safflower plants. Now, safflower, you're probably aware of, is uh, a plant that produces 
we get oil from it. And so these scientists have able, been able to get safflower plants to actually produce human insulin. Um, and they are projecting this, this would be a much less expensive way to produce insulin than from the current E. coli. And this is currently in clinical trials, testing the safeness of this insulin. Uh, and so, the, you know, there's some advantage to this there. And if we bring it down to GMOs in, in, in food, uh, you can make uh, pesticide-resistant crops, and, uh, and, and then you can uh, spray the crops. And, and the, the, let's say the Monsanto crops will, will do what you want them to do, and the, and the others will, will die. Very, and, and you can increase your yield this way. So that's, uh, there's some advantages. Uh, I wonder, uh, you, you can probably understand uh, maybe some, some unknowns here, and people have fears about the unknown. Uh, we have one such example on our Facebook page. Uh, you can join the conversation, by the way, on our Facebook page, uh, Utah Public Radio. You can uh, join the conversation at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. And the phone number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. So the picture we have here is of an apple lime. It's a, you, you cut open the apple and there's a lime inside it. It's, you know, you, you hear the phrase uh, Franken crops. Um, there, there are, and of course, you know, if you really sit down and think about it, there is some ridiculous lists to that. But, but there are some fears out there. And I wonder, uh, uh, do you encounter this? Do you, do you get questions along that line? People coming to the site and asking you ab about genetic engineering. Um, that isn't something that we really uh, get a lot of feedback about. Uh, I understand that people are afraid of things that they don't know, but um, I think there are several aspects in engineering plants so that they're um, resistant to either pests or um, herbicides is one has been certainly the most um, maybe visible way that plants are being genetically modified in our food system. But uh, farmers have been modifying crops for thousands of years. So, for instance, the, the idea of an apple with a lime inside, if you go to the grocery store, you find pluots, which are apricot and plum crosses. There are many varieties of apples. There are... Um, Scientists are constantly trying to create something new and different. In the old, um, maybe one approach is that you cross plants that are related or uh, you choose organisms that have the characteristics that you want. For example, with beef cattle, um, ranchers and ranchers would be selecting to breed the cattle that have the characteristics uh, in terms of beef cattle, I'm assuming it's that you want to have um, a, a calf that, that produces high-quality meat. Um, and so this has been going on for thousands of years of choosing organisms for the characteristics that we value in them. Uh, Sue Lind, this is one of the arguments that, that you hear from uh, people who are promoting GMOs. Uh, is that, as we, we just heard, uh, this is just an extension of, uh, say, breeding that's been going on for centuries. You know, I would have to agree with Louise. Um, since we have owned our ranch for the last, oh, what now, 13, 14 years, uh, we have been improving our livestock. We raise Angus principally because the Angus Association has been doing a lot of genetic research um, so that when we go to buy bulls every year, we are looking bull, for bulls with a certain makeup. We want to make sure that the, their carcasses are marbling appropriately, that the mothers are producing the right of mil amount of milk, um, that they ha will produce a certain size ribeye, um, that they have a certain uh, docility requirement, uh, lots of different characteristics, and uh, we want to improve our cow herd also by using the bull's genetics. And so we do some artificial insemination of some of the really great, with some of the really great art, um, bulls that the Angus uh, has, Association has produced. 
And uh, according to uh, talking to my feedlot person, he says the, this sort of uh, selection is no different than adding an amino acid to uh, the um, genetic makeup of seed in the genetically modified uh, corn or uh, alfalfa or whatever you're raising. Hmm. Yes, I do support it. Uh, we're going to take a brief break. We'll be back talking about GMOs um, and genetics on the program. And we're talking with uh, Sue Lind, who is a rancher. She's on the board of League of Women Voters of Salt Lake. And with Dr. Louisa Stark, who directs the Genetic Science Learning Center at University of Utah. They are two panelists of several who will be taking part in a panel discussion on GMOs for the League of Women Voters. That's happening uh, tomorrow evening, 630 in the Girl Scout office building in Salt Lake City. The way to reach us here, uh, we'd love to get your perspective on GMOs. Do you eat GMOs? Are you okay with GMOs? Does the idea make you nervous? Are you okay with it? And we'll get talking about the intellectual property rights as, as well. And uh, talk a little more broadly about genetics as well. If you have a question or comment, we'd love to uh, hear that at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Uh, or you can uh, reach us uh, by email to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, and our Utah Public Radio Facebook page, where you can see that apple lime. It's a beautiful photo, uh, no matter what you uh, think of GMOs. Uh, you can comment there. More following break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the American Festival Chorus presenting Encore, a night of gospel music featuring Pastor Chantel Wright, director of the Harlem, New York City Youth Choir, Saturday, February 15th at 7.30 at USU's Kent Concert Hall. Information at AmericanFestivalChorus.org or 435-797-8022. And by Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, offering breakfast Monday through Saturday, beginning at 7 a.m., featuring quiche, granola with layers of yogurt and fruit, or a ciabatta fried egg bun with bacon, avocado, and provolone. This is Lloyd Berenson, director of the Bear River Health Department. We get asked if it's safe to exercise on unhealthy air days. Exercise is important for a happy, healthy life. While it is best to avoid too much time outside, when PM 2.5 levels are elevated, going for a walk or other light exercise is still worth your time. However, switching up your exercise routine with some indoor exercises such as a treadmill is a safer choice on unhealthy air days. For those with health problems such as asthma or lung, or heart disease, it is even more important to avoid the unhealthy air. It is important for everyone to know their body. And if you notice health problems or symptoms on these days, change your routine. Remember to keep exercising and adjust as needed. The Bear River Health Department provided this content in response to Utah Public Radio listener questions about air pollution and health for our community engagement reporting project. To join our public insight network and have a say in what we report, Go to upr.org and click on Become a Source. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're talking about GMOs on the program today, genetically modified organisms. And as Tamar Haspel, who I've quoted before, writing for the Washington Post, says, there's as deep a schism in the food community as there is in Congress uh, over this and other similar issues. Uh, and uh, so we're trying to get to the, the bottom of uh, GMOs, get some answers. We're talking with two panelists who will be appearing on a panel on this issue for the League of Women Voters. That's tomorrow night at 6.30 in the Girl Scout Office Building, 445 East, 4500 South in Salt Lake City. We're talking with Dr. Louisa Stark, who directs the Genetic Science Learning Center at the University of Utah. The uh, center's learn.genetics website is the most widely used online genetics education resource in the world. We're also talking with Sue Lind, uh, who is a rancher. She's on the board of the League of Women Voters of Salt Lake City. Here's the way you can join this conversation. We're asking you, do you eat GMOs? Are you okay with GMOs? I had to make you nervous. Are you okay with it? Uh, what do you understand about it? Um, and uh, are you organic or not? Where do you come down on this divide, or do you think there isn't or should not be a divide on this? The number is 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. would love to get your comment, your opinion, 1-800-826-1495, or your question. You can reach us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, or you can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. Uh, the number again, 1-800-826-1495. Um, 
So as we as we look at uh, genetic engineering, uh, that term gets thrown around, by the way, uh, Dr. Stark. I wonder uh, if you could take us back. You, you explained a little bit about it before. Maybe you could take, it, uh, take us uh, through that term, uh, maybe dispel some of the unknown about that. So genetic engineering refers to a variety of techniques that basically insert DNA into an organism that was not part of that organism's original genetic makeup. So DNA, the A, C's, T's, and G's, provide all of the information for an organism to live and grow. Um, the DNA, what it does is it, it provides instructions for making Proteins. Now, I know that most people, when they think about protein, they're thinking about perhaps beef, such as sucrose, or legumes, or um, protein comes from milk products. But when we talk about protein in a scientific way, we're talking about molecules that can have different properties. So some um, molecules are enzymes. Some proteins, in a scientific term, are, for instance, are enzymes. Uh, you've probably heard of people who are lactose intolerant. That means that they don't have the enzyme that allows them to break down um, the sugars in milk and causes digestive problems. So they could be enzymes. They could be um, keratin, which is the protein that makes up our nails and our hair. There are many, many different kinds of molecules that are scientifically called proteins that go into making all of our bodies work and run uh, on a daily basis. So what genetic engineering does or, or genetic modification means that uh, a technique is used to insert into an organism's DNA some DNA that wasn't there previously that will produce a new kind of protein. Uh, I'm reading from, and there are dueling websites. Um, so, you know, probably go to a, a sort of a, a scientific website, uh, like the one that uh, Dr. Stark runs. Um, this is from the anti-GMO website, or one of them, GMO Myths and Truths. I want to get into, we've uh, been talking about uh, how people who support GMOs uh, believe that this is just an extension, uh, a logical extension of what's been going on for centuries, uh, crossbreeding and such. Um, Anti-GMO folks are saying that genetic engineering is completely different from natural breeding and entails different risks. And some of those risks, they say, uh, genetic engineering could lead to unpredictable changes in DNA, proteins and biochemical compositions from the resulting uh, crops, etc., lead to unexpected consequences. Uh, Dr. Stark, do you, uh, is that realistic? Did, how big a risk do you think that is? Well, any time that you're um, inserting DNA into an organism, um, it could land in a place that disrupts other proteins, the, the coding for other proteins. It um, can certainly lead to uh, different kinds of changes, but the people who are, are creating these organisms um, would be looking for what are the kinds of changes that are created. Um, now, so I am less concerned about that personally, um, because if you disrupt uh, another protein, the information for making another kind of protein, then you may have different kinds of cascading un in, um, consequences that, that don't lead to the outcome that you're looking for because if you're creating a genetically modified organism, you want it to continue to grow and live. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to do that, it needs much of the mechanism that it already has. We're talking with uh, Sue Lind and uh, Dr. Louisa Stark. We're talking about GMOs, genetically modified organisms, uh, and uh, we're having problems with the phone system. Uh, we uh, had uh, several of you try to get through, so we apologize for that. I encourage you uh, to uh, get your comment or question through to us by email. That would be the best way right now. And uh, the way to get to it to us is upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. So please, uh, until we get that phone system uh, rectified, uh, reach us by email. We'd love to have your comment or question on this issue. Uh, it, the uh, way to get to us is upraxcess at gmail.com, 
access at gmail.com. Or you can go to our Utah Public Radio Facebook page and uh, comment. And that's where uh, Vivian Baji has uh, liked our uh, our post. Uh, so, Sue Lind, uh, I wonder, um, I think you've said you've come down as you look at the risks and rewards here. You're okay with uh, GMO uh, crops. Uh, what about uh, the intellectual property rights? This is something that's different. Uh, if you just uh, crossbreed and such, the, the seeds you have, they could uh, fly over to your neighbor's field. There wouldn't be a, a, a lawsuit. That's a potential with the uh, Monsanto crops and the like. Um, do, you, do you worry about that? Of course, you don't have to worry about that where you are, but uh, in, in abstract, would you, would you worry about that if your neighbor had Monsanto crops? Yes, I think I, you could worry about that. And lawsuits, um, I'm, uh, you know, I, I know that Monsanto has royalties and all that sort of thing uh, con- connected to it. And, and so if my neighbor were to raise Monsanto and uh, some of it would, would cause uh, crossbreeding, um, that could be a problem. But um, normally um, we're not worried about it because it's not happening in our neck of the woods. And I think where you find feedlots, you find most people, uh, most of the feedlot uh, farmers are are using Monsanto or like crops because they've seen so many advantages to them. Uh, a comment on the GMOs, I think um, animals who've been raised with uh, ingesting some of the GMOs, I think the jury is still out on whether it causes any complications or not. Um, I think... Um, one thing we might worry about might be uh, the loss of um, insect life, like the monarch butterflies or bees, as to whether they've been in, impacted by it, and uh, our water supply. And as long as we're using Roundup, apparently it isn't that great a, a threat because it uh, disintegrates very rapidly after it's done its job of killing the weeds. However, some of those weeds um, are used by bees and um, uh, the butterfly to um, use as part of their nutrients and for pollination. So that could be a problem. Hmm. We, uh, we have this uh, by email, uh, sort of uh, transliterating a call that came in. This is Elizabeth on our staff. Uh, she says the person who called in uh, wasn't able to get it to us on the phone, and uh, so she's uh, giving the gist of the question. Uh, this person was wondering about intellectual property rights, which we're, we've been talking about there, and crossbreeding. Also interested in antibiotics in cattle. And uh, Sue Lind, you, you made reference to that earlier on. This is something that's used pretty routinely, and there, there are some people who say that that could cause problems down the road. It could. Uh, we do not use antibiotics on our cattle unless they are sick. If they develop what we call pink eye, which is a, a very in, uh, damaging um, infection in the eye, we will give antibiotics, just like with people who are sick. Or if they get foot rot, which, which causes a great deal of swelling in the feet, uh, we do give an antibiotic when they are, um, like I say, stressed, when we wean them. Uh, but it's only for a short period of time and shouldn't last long in their systems or in their makeup. I asked about my feedlot person whether they use the antibiotic as a, on a regular basis in the feedlot, and he said no. Again, they only give it to sick animals. If it looks like it's uh, an illness that is creeping through the whole <clears throat> feedlot group, he said yes, they will uh, broadcast an antibiotic throughout the feed. But normally, no, they do not give antibiotics. And so that might uh, help her in her uh, in her um, uh, interest in the ingestion of antibiotics by the cattle industry. I know in chickens sometimes it's the same thing. If they have a sick chicken, they will take care of it. If they're a mass number of chickens, of course they may broadcast the antibiotic. And pigs, I'm not sure whether they give that antibiotic on a regular basis or not. I think, again, it depends upon how they are raised. Hmm. We're talking about uh, GMOs, genetically modified organisms. It's, uh, it's uh, quite a divide in, in the food world. Uh, people who are passionate against GMOs, their Facebook sites and rallies and such, 
uh, and and lobbying in Congress. The, the latest is to uh, require uh, labeling for GMO foods. Others say this is really the only way that we're going to be able to, or one of the main ways we're going to be able to feed the world, and uh, that, they're, that the, the uh, rewards outweigh the risks. And we want to know where you come down on this. Love to get your question or comment at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, or you could go to our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. And we're talking with uh, Sue Lind, who is a rancher, and with Dr. Louisa Stark, who directs the Genetic Science Learning Center at the University of Utah. They are panelists, will be panelists tomorrow evening, 6.30, in the Girl Scout office building in Salt Lake City, and that's sponsored by the League of Women Voters. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, more on GMOs, and we'll expand the discussion to uh, some interesting other topics in the world of genetic science. Uh, you can reach us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the USU Extension 4-H and youth programs saluting the 4-H volunteer leaders and parents who work with and support youth in their development of various skills and enabling them to reach their fullest potential. Information at utah4h.org. And by Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3, offering lunch items including veggie burgers with a lemon garlic aioli, or lentil salad with tarragon vinaigrette. Did you know that nearly half of preschool children in the U.S. do not go outside to play every day? And parents are less likely to take their daughters outside to play than their sons. Children's books also focus less on natural environments today than they did 50 years ago. Did You Know That is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu. Utah State University Online was recently recognized by U.S. News and World Report for its online bachelor's degree program based upon student engagement, faculty credentials, peer reputation, student services, and technology. More than 200 universities were ranked and included public, private, and for-profit institutions. Congratulations to USU for its recent recognition. We're talking about GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, on the program today. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and I'm talking with uh, two panelists who will be participating in a panel discussion for the League of Women Voters on the topic of GMOs, and that'll be tomorrow evening at 6.30 in the Girl Scout Office Building, 445 East, 4500 South in Salt Lake City. Uh, we're talking about uh, genetically modified organisms, asking you uh, what you think. Are you okay with this? Uh, does it make you nervous? Are you are you fine with it? Uh, do the rewards outweigh the risk or the reverse? Do you eat GMOs? What about organic? And we've been talking about intellectual property rights as well. Um, as Tamar Hospital, writing for the Washington Post, uh, very uh, vividly described the debate, she said there's as deep a schism in the food community on this as there is in Congress. And uh, I think that's uh, true, at least in some circles. I'd love to get your perspective on this at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Let's go to an email. This is from Jeanette. Um, and I'll direct this first one uh, to uh, Dr. Louisa Stark. By the way, we're talking with Dr. Louisa Stark with the Genetic Science Learning Center at University of Utah and with Sue Lind, who is a rancher and on the board of League of Women Voters of uh, Salt Lake. So this is what Jeanette says. What's the difference between GMO and genetically engineered? Uh, those are two terms that are used interchangeably. So there really isn't any difference between the two. I realize that could lead to some confusion, but uh, genetically engineered means that there's been a genetic change um, brought about by a, a scientist and genetically modified means the same thing. Mm. Uh, and the second part of the question, uh, why has Europe banned glyphosate? And, uh, I guess either either one of you, uh, Sue Lynn, do you want to uh, tackle that one? I, I, you have, 
you've said the people you've talked to uh, think that it's it's fine, right? That uh, so-called Monsanto crops are are okay, but uh, I think there's even more nervousness in Europe over this. Um, you know, I don't know because if they use other uh, herbicides like atrazine, which uh, remain in the soil, you have uh, much many more problems with it reaching the water systems, your lakes and your rivers. Uh, one of the nice things about Roundup or um, the gly, 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 glycosate, uh, right. is that how you say it? Uh, yeah, well, uh, she spelled it glyphosate, um, but uh, is the fact yeah, that it you might know better. very shortly after its use. Mm. And so uh, they may have some other reservations in regards to their plant life. Maybe they don't want to use a lot of herbicides, and um, I can certainly understand why they do not. Uh, so... That would be my answer to the question. Yeah, my my uninformed uh, response would be it, it it probably comes from the you know the the distaste for the the idea of GMOs. So a quick Google search. Um, it says I found one headline that says the European Union votes to ban bee killing pesticides. So I don't have time to read all of this, but it sounds like the that this pesticide. Maybe they feel that it kills bees if bees um, get the pesticide. Mm, yeah, um, you, you that were. Could be a problem. I, I don't know about this, but this is sounds like maybe this is part of the issue. You were faster on the Google search than I was, so thank you uh, about that. Uh, so I hope that uh, answers, at least in part, to your question, Jeanette. Uh, and you can join this discussion, hope that you will, on GMOs and uh, genetic engineering and related topics. Love to get your opinion on GMOs. Uh, you come down for or against. Uh, the place to reach us, since we're having some phone problems, is upraxcess at gmail.com. Upraxcess at gmail.com. Hope that you'll uh, respond to the program. We'd love to get your question or comment to upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. And we're talking with uh, Sue Lind, who's a rancher, and Dr. Louisa Stark, who directs the Genetic Science Learning Center at University of Utah. Dr. Stark, um, I've gone to uh, the page on your site, which is, by the way, is learn.genetics. It's the most visited uh, genetic site in the world. Uh, the, the place I'm visiting and I'm interested to uh, have you talk about this is uh, gene farming. This is uh, sort of taking the idea, uh, um, not exactly, but taking a similar idea from crops to, to animals. So, so tell me about gene farming. So this is an, this is a, an approach of inserting genes into animals that would allow them to produce, um, again, particular proteins. Uh, so, for instance, one of them would be perhaps um, some of the t- drugs that are currently being tested are drugs to treat blood clots or for anemia, uh, for em- hemophilia, uh, cystic fibrosis, and the idea is that the gene for the drugs to treat those diseases could be produced, for instance, in uh, a cow's or goat's milk and then extracted from the milk. So th- that's, that's the idea is that genes can be put into different animals to produce uh, products that we could use. This is just like I talked about the safflower plants uh, are scientists have inserted the human insulin gene into safflower plants, and the plants are now producing the human insulin uh, in their seeds, and it can, be press, it can be extracted just like we get oil from safflower plants now. And this is where we, we sort of pushed into what uh, just a few years ago would have been science fiction. Uh, I'm reading here, and I've heard a little bit about this before, spider goat. Can you can you tell me about spider goat, and what uh, we're trying to do here with with uh, genetic engineering? So spider silk is um, very strong material, and um, the idea is to put the genes to produce this very strong silk into the goat, and then again uh, they would be expressed in in the goat milk. So you would be able to extract this silk-like property. Uh, from the goat's milk. 
and then it could be used to make um, bulletproof vests or um, very thin, very strong thread for surgery um, or other such things. So the advantages here, the, the reward is, is, is self-evident. But I could, you know, I could see some people being nervous about this and seeing a, a, an essential difference between breeding animals so that you get the very best possible goat or the very best possible spider. Although why you'd breed spiders, I, I wouldn't know. Uh, but combining two species or, or, you know, elements from, from one to the other, for some people maybe would, would cross a line, make them very nervous. Um. Again, I, I would uh, certainly, that gets into a value, I, say, I would say that gets more into a values mm. as mm-hmm. opposed to science. Yeah. From the scientific point of view, this is DNA, and it's provi- the DNA provides the instructions for making a protein. Yeah. Sue Lynn, I wonder what so you... So at the scientific yeah. level, that's very straightforward. I think that, you know... I think there are rightfully concerns that were brought up earlier about, well, if if we have genetically engineered crops, say with herbicide or pesticide resistance, do those do those genes get out into the environment uh, from crops because genes move around in pollen? Um, can that does that pollen move to wild relatives and does that impact wild relatives and thus does that reduce the then I think that's a different issue. Mm-hmm. With a goat, those genes aren't going to move around very easily. Yeah, I guess that would be a difference. Sue Lind, I wonder, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on this. You you know, of course, you're in a business that is, that's been doing what you might call natural breeding for, for centuries. Do you see an essential difference in, are you nervous about an essential difference in genetic engineering with, with animals? Uh, no, I'm re- uh, no um, genetic in, uh, engineering in animals. Um, so far, they they haven't really come up with a lot of uh, real positive results in some aspects. I think that, like with cattle, we can take care of most of what we need to do through artificial insemination, with uh, uh, with excellent breeding stock being used. And it's not any more expensive than buying bulls and uh, <laughs> using them directly. Um, it, it increases the value of your herd and makes it better. So um, we use it on our young uh, first-time calvers because uh, they're the easiest to use it on, and um, it does produce good results. So mm. I don't know much about using genetically modified um, or genetic engineering on cattle. I don't know that that's necessary. What about uh, labeling? There's a push among the anti-GMO people to make sure that uh, anything that has uh, GMOs in it, uh, you know, GMO crops are labeled as such. Would would you support something like that? You know, um, I think one of the great uh, uh, characteristics of our country is that we allow choices. And if GMO uh, labeling on food makes people um, more comfortable, then I think it, I certainly do um, support it. I, I think that um, in one way or another, most of us do in, uh, ingest GMOs. Uh, if we have anything that has corn products in it, corn syrup, um, corn or flowers, if they're going to use it on wheat, um, Soybeans, anything they ingest that has a soybean product in it will have a GMO in it. Uh, it's almost hard to trace in all, all foods except your raw produce. And, you know, again, that's the great thing about our country. You can choose what kind of food you want to eat. And so most of your produce and natural foods, of course, will not have GMOs in it. And if people choose to be vegetarians, that is their choice. Mm. And uh, so... You know, that's the great thing about our country. And if you want grass-fed beef and you feel like they're going to be your best solution or grass-fed anything animals, that's great. Uh, your chickens, they are almost always going to have a GMO product in them. Uh, your pigs, the same way. So you're going to have to be very selective in the products of meat you eat 
if you're going to worry about your GMOs. Mm. We just have about four minutes left. Um, and I can't resist taking a, sort of a, a left turn here because we have a genetic scientist with us, Dr. Stark. Um, we're talking about GMOs, and you're still welcome in the next uh, three or four minutes to get a, a comment or question to us at upraxis at gmail.com. I was reading the other day, Dr. Stark, um, that uh, the estimate is or the thinking is, the theory is that uh, there might be widespread use of, um, of kits or machines uh, services to sequence your your entire uh, you know sequence of genes your your entire genome for a person, if the price point got to about a thousand dollars, and there are indications now that some companies are working on uh, on a machine that will do just that, um, and so we'll we'll be entering a brave new world where people could actually do that for you know for you know thousand dollars a lot of money, but with that you could. I guess you could sit down with your doctor and and see what you're predisposed to, to to get in the future, whether or not you'd want to know that. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Well, yes, the thousand dollar genome is is here. Uh, the issue is that that there's a huge amount of information in our genome. We don't understand what it means. Um, we don't understand all of the genetic variants that each of us has and whether those have any are have any disease causing issues with them or not so while people will be able to get their genome sequenced for $1000 so that means that they will know the exact sequence of a's c's g's and t's in all of their uh, dna in one cell and you have the same dna in every cell we won't know what that we don't know what that means. We don't know how to interpret it. This is a huge issue uh, with bioinformatics, where we are trying to learn how to sort out, you know, is this stretch of DNA a gene or is it not a gene? And if it's a gene, what protein does it code for? And there are so many modifications that can happen to that stretch of that information when it goes out into the cell. So, yes, we're going to be able to get that information, but being able to use it to help us under, better understand health and disease is still a challenge we're working on a lot. Yeah, it's it's an interesting world. Um, and we'll probably do a program just on that in, in the future. We are out of time for this discussion. You can continue the discussion on our website, UPR. Dot org, upr.org, and of course, continue those emails at upraccess at gmail.com. The panel discussion on GMOs, sponsored by the League of Women Voters, is tomorrow evening at 6.30 in the Girl Scout Office Building, 445 East, 4500 South in Salt Lake City. And the very interesting website uh, that Dr. Louisa Stark directs is learn.genetics. Dr. Louisa Stark with Genetic Science Learning Center at the University of Utah has been with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's Thank been a pleasure. And Sue Lind, who's, you, Tom, who's a rancher. Thank you for having us on the program. Thank really you. Appreciate I it. appreciate it, and good luck with the panel discussion. And, of course, this discussion on GMOs, I'm sure, will continue here at Utah Public Radio. For producers uh, Katie Swain and Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for listening today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the American Festival Chorus, presenting Encore, a night of gospel music, presenting the choir from Calvary Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, Saturday, February 15th at 7.30 at USU's Kent Concert Hall. Information at AmericanFestivalChorus.org or 435-797-8022. Utah commentator, Gina Wickwar. America's little sweetheart, Shirley Temple, died Monday evening. So in honor of her passing, the following is a retelling of an essay I recorded in January 2013. I caught a couple of Shirley Temple movie marathons over the Christmas holidays. You know, Curly Top, The Little Princess, The Little Colonel, Heidi, and more. And this got me to thinking about the endurance of this child actress who is now an 84-year-old woman. I've actually met Shirley Temple. Well, to be more exact, I've met Shirley Temple Black. 
My husband was invited to give a paper at a scientific meeting in Prague, Czechoslovakia, during the fall of 1990. Along with his father, Hardy, we flew to Munich, then rented a car and drove the remainder of the way to Prague. Vincent, usually the most detail-driven of men, had not, for some reason, reserved a hotel room for us. As a result, when we arrived in Prague, we had to set about finding lodgings, which wasn't easy since half the upper atmospheric physicists in the world had descended on that fair city. In fact, we were in the process of seeking help from the Prague equivalent of the Chamber of Commerce when a young man approached us and offered to rent us several rooms in his home. Normally, we'd have turned him down, but we'd been traveling for several days, had an 87-year-old father in tow who needed rest, and were exhausted ourselves. Besides, the only option offered us by the Czech Chamber of Commerce was a B&B out in the countryside, so we took him up on his offer. It turned out to be a great deal. His in-laws had just purchased the adjoining apartment, and they were renting the extra rooms to make money. As you can see, capitalism had sprung up immediately after the Velvet Revolution. For a very small price, we had two bedrooms, a bathroom, and breakfast. To this day, we exchange Christmas cards with the family. During the week while Vincent was conferencing, Hardy and I strolled the streets of Prague, ate at turn-of-the-century restaurants, wandered around the great Prague castle, and generally checked out this post-communist city. Near the end of our stay, the Americans attending the conference were invited by the American ambassador to a soiree at the U.S. Embassy. The ambassador happened to be Shirley Temple Black. The embassy, Mrs. Black told us, was once a beautiful old home that had belonged to a wealthy Jewish businessman and his family. One day, sometime in the late 1930s, he told his wife he was taking the afternoon off and bade her have the servants make up a picnic basket so they and the children could picnic in the countryside. The family left their house, their servants, and all their possessions, never to return. Luckily, they made it to Austria and eventually the Swiss border before Hitler's minions marched into Prague. Mrs. Black reminded us that once the Germans left, the Soviets took over, and indeed the American embassy she lived in had recently housed the Russian delegation. In their honor, she had named her boxer Gorby. This child star was, in 1990, a woman in her early 60s, but you could still see the dimples, the smile, the sparkle. At the same time, you could sense she was smart, tough, and well-informed geopolitically. Still, I think most of her guests would have given anything to have seen her do a two-step tap dance and sing at least one line from the good ship Lollipop. I know I would have. This is Gina Wickwar. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1, 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1, 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1, 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1, 88.7 Moab, KCEU 89.7 Price, and KUSU FM HD1, 91.5 Logan.